Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Uh, good to be with you all. Good to be with Pastor Bryson too sometimes. As he, as he makes fun of both of our Bibles, and I do too. Um, I actually do love the Wide Margin Bible. I, I scribble all over that thing, keep my notes all in the place. Uh, and uh, if you look at any page where I've been, you'll, you'll see all this little marking and scribbling. First time through, I put it in pencil because I'm not sure it's right. Second time through, I, I think I got it, I'm going to start writing in pen. Third or fourth time through, pages are starting to miss, and it's about time to ask for another Bible for Christmas. This was a gift. This particular Bible was a gift from my lovely wife. Holly, just a couple years ago, and I love this Bible. Thank you, honey, for that. We are starting a new series on Wednesday nights, just Wednesday night. We're gonna, the next four weeks, we're going to be in the book of Esther. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there, book of Esther, and it'll take you half an hour to find it, so I'll just uh, keep chatting while, while you look for that. Uh, it's right after the book of Nehemiah, so in, in the Old Testament, one-fourth of the way through or so, the book of Esther. Um, I remember a friend told me this story not uh, a little while back. I can't remember how many years ago, but uh, uh, it, he was a very young child at the time that this story happened. He was in his the playroom wherever they had all their Legos, and they got all the big box of Legos out, dumped it on the floor, you know. And he just started playing, and he built this huge, ornate, intricate tower. Uh, at least in his memory as an adult of that childhood tower. That's what it was. And you understand how those things go. I think our memories grow with us, <laughs> you know, as we grow. Then you see kids and the, how much they love whatever they've built, and you think, well, okay, that's, that's nice, honey, that's nice. But he built a big, ornate tower, in his words. And he had just finished what he had been working on for, at least in his memory, was hours. His brother walked in and looked at the Lego tower, looked at him, looked at the Lego tower, looked back at him, kept his eyes locked on him, walked over, smashed the Lego tower, stepped back, and walked out of the room. <laughs> Don't feel too bad now, all you very compassionate people. All the people with gifts of mercy are crying. They're just like, oh, it's so terrible. His dreams were dashed. He probably did counseling fears. He's fine. He's fine. But kids pretty quickly show our evil nature, don't we? Uh, uh, this is... Um, uh, you know, some kids will yank hair. Some kids, well, we were talking in the office about this recently. I won't say who, which of us were, but some kids, when a new kid comes into the family, they'll yank hair, they'll, they'll poke, they'll pinch, they'll scratch, they'll slap, they'll, they'll, they'll steal things, right? Uh, kids who have plenty of food, seven, eight years old, plenty of food at home, will we'll go through the, the gas station and sneak, sneak something, right? into their pocket. Kids without any anger at all, but they've got a new BB gun and go and shoot out a streetlight. Go shoot out a streetlight for no other reason than the streetlight was there and there was a BB gun in their hand. It seemed like a really good idea at the time. I'm not saying that's a personal story, but it was. Uh, we do all kinds of weird things and evil shows up in some of the earliest of our days. But what happens when that evil grows up? What, happen when the, what happens when that evil doesn't get corrected? What happens when that evil comes into power? whether it's an evil bully in the neighborhood who has greater strength than someone else or an evil boss who has authority over 
someone else, or an evil politician who's able to use the machinery of government to accomplish corrupt aims, or an evil nation as a whole which seeks to exert its will through violent murder and pillage and death. What happens when evil grows up? Well, that's the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, we see evil grown up. And in my mind, as I read through it and I study it more and more, uh, I keep asking myself uh, this question. How can Christians, how can believers stay faithful in the face of evil? I think that's the question of the book of Esther. How can believers stay faithful in the face of evil? So facing evil... What can believers do? Especially when that evil's in power, when that evil's in control, and the believers are not. Uh, The book of Esther, as you know, does not mention God. And I think that's one of the subtle messages of the book of Esther. If you hadn't heard that before, let me help you not wrestle with why that's in the Bible for too very long. I think one of the subtle messages of the book of Esther is when you're in the face of evil and evil is in power and evil has grown up, it feels like God is silent. It feels for a season at least like God is absent the, the dark cloud of evil as it grows, and it grows and grows and grows, eventually gets so large and gets so dark and gets so expansive, the light of God's sovereign glory, the light of God's sovereign grace gets blocked out. Where is God? When evil rules the day, Christians across all of history have said, where are you, God? And the Jews were no different. You know, I, have you ever watched that uh, uh, that movie making of the, the musical Fiddler on the Roof. Anybody seen that? I used to watch that when I was growing up and I was sick. Because I was sick, I just, I'd watch part of it and fall asleep in the middle, wake up somewhere near the end with a guy dancing on the roof, not understanding. So I never really fully understood the movie because I just watched it just about every time I was sick because it always put me to sleep. But Tevye has this fun little moment in that movie, if you've seen it, where he's just talking to God and, you know, the Jews are God's chosen people. And he says, if this is what it's like to be God's chosen people, Could you choose someone else for a little while? Because the Jews are very familiar with rejection and suffering. And in the movie, they're forced within two days to sell everything they own and get out. All Jews must leave. Must sell everything. Who will we sell it to? Well, that's not our problem. You sell whatever you have and get out within two days. How are you going to sell a house in two days? How are you going to sell all your possessions in two days? Well, this is what it's like to be God's chosen people. Could you choose someone else for a while? He grins. What do we do in the face of evil? How do believers stay faithful in this face of evil? Let's read from Esther chapter 1 with that question in mind. But first, we're going to have to get acquainted with the evil that was faced. Now, in the days, this is verse 1 in chapter 1 of Esther. Now, in the days of Ahasuerus, some of your older translations will say Xerxes. That's uh, just the Greek form of the same name. And this is the Hebrew form of the name. Neither of them are the Persian form of the name, by the way, so they're both translations. Now, in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. Try to get that in your mind for a moment. India to Ethiopia. 
127 provinces. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, modern day Iran, by the way, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media, two great kingdoms that have been brought together to form his one kingdom, and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days to be precise. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, that central town, that ruling town like Washington, D.C., of the Medo-Persian Empire, he gave all of those people present in the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Are you getting the picture of ridiculous luxury, of magnificent opulence, of extravagant expense? Drinks were served, verse 7, in golden vessels. I've got these little mugs in my office that I love. I just felt so special when Lady Lo, Debbie got those for me and put them in my office. She knew I love coffee, and she was setting up my office nice for me to, to let me know that I was appreciated when I came, and she put four matching mugs in my office for me to drink from. They're ceramic. I felt so special. These are golden, golden goblets from which to drink. So not a gold ring. Think about how expensive it is to give your, the one that you love an engagement ring or a wedding ring. Think about how much money it costs for a single ounce of gold. Every single one of the people in the town was drinking out of a golden goblet. Come on, have you looked at the spot price of gold? I didn't know if anybody would start Googling real quick. It's pretty pricey. Just the cost of the goblets alone for this feast would make any politician in America blush. Would be too expensive for a billionaire's home. It's ridiculous. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king, and drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion, in other words, do whatever you want, for the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Drink as much as you want, as often as you want, as deeply as you want. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zathar, and, and Carcas, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring King Vashti before the king with her royal crown, in order to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at, but Queen Vashti refused to come. Stop. That's the setup for the story. I wanted to read all of that because I wanted you to get it rapid fire, the opulence, the luxury, the extravagance, the expense. Um, here's what I think we have, <laughs> to use a modern term, narcissism. 
what we have being put on display at the beginning of this story is a narcissistic personality who is gathering grandiosity, displaying power, and asking an entire universe to bend before him. Everything revolves around Xerxes. Everything revolves around this guy, Ahasuerus, Xerxes, whatever you want to call him. By the way, the name in the original Persian means ruler of rulers, hero of heroes, champion of champion, lord of lords. Several Persian kings are named that in scripture so that it can get a little confusing as to which one you're talking about. But it was common for them to think of their king that way, as champion of champions, hero of heroes, lord of lords. And then it was common for that to get into the king's head and for them to think that's who I actually am. That's who I'm supposed to be. But I want to bring this down from this space where Evil is all grown up, and the cloud has spread as far as possible, and the darkness begins to span from Ethiopia to India, (laughs) and try to make it make sense for us. We might not be all the way from Ethiopia to India. How does this affect us? So let me just give you five signs of narcissism, principles I'm pulling from this passage, this narrative uh, of, of the book of Esther that I think will help us see narcissism a little better. I'm, gonna, I'm pulling it all the way down to as simple as terms as I think I can. Here's the first sign of narcissism. One word, more. More. Number one, more. Look at verses four and five again, if you like. While he showed the riches of his royal glory, the splendor and pomp of his greatness for 180 days. And when these 180 days, that's that's half a year, right? Almost. He throws another feast for seven days. Maybe a day in between, and now we're at a half a year. An entire half a year of revelry, feasting, more, 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 more. Sometime, if you want to, just go to Google and try to get directions to walk from India to Iran. And then get directions to to walk from Ethiopia to Iran. See how long that journey would take you on foot. Remember, these people don't have cars, and he's asking each of these officials to come. Now, presumably they would have beasts of burden, and that would speed it up a little bit, but not like it would for us with a car. You're asking people to travel months of a journey on foot, months to get there, and then to stay for six months for what? Getting business done? For accomplishing the the, the purposes of your, your position? No. To just have more and more and more and more and more and more and more pleasure. To do whatever the king's wanting to do with whatever time the king's wanting to do it. And it's never quite enough. Let's have another party. Let's throw another party. Let's throw another party. One of the first signs of narcissism is it's always more. It's never enough. Christians, believers... Sometimes we want to think about what do we do in the face of evil out there. We always first need to face whatever beginning tiny cloud, cloud the size of a man's hand in our heart might be there. If I can't say enough, if I can't say good enough, more than enough, way better than I deserve, I have that little tiny cloud growing inside of me that is taking me towards that narcissistic evil. It's enough. 
we have this little phrase that Holly and I just joke around with sometimes when, when something isn't quite the way we would like it. I got it from a mentor of mine. It, just, it makes us both laugh. We can't use it for anybody else. We can only use it for ourselves. You know what I'm getting ready to say. When something isn't quite the best, and it, but it's just coming to us, we say and just laugh at each other, well, it's good enough for who it's for. <laughs> In other words, it's just for us. <laughs> good enough for who it's for. Well, that meal didn't turn out quite right. Well, that's good enough for who it's for. Well, that's not the best hotel bed. Well, you know what? This is good enough for who it's for. <laughs> who do I think I am? Ahasuerus? <laughs> who do I think I am? The king of Medo-Persia? Well, enough. Now, now flip that. If you have someone in your life that can never be satisfied no matter what they receive, it's a warning sign. It's a warning sign of a deep spiritual psychological sickness. If you have somebody in your life that no matter what gift you give, it wasn't a good enough gift. No matter what you do for them, it wasn't enough that was done for them. No matter how hard you work, it wasn't hard enough work. If, no matter how well you perform, it wasn't quite performed well enough. Uh, that's a warning sign that you may be dealing with a narcissist. And you shouldn't let them drive you crazy. The problem may or may not be you. At least examine it for a second. Uh, number one, more. Number two, better. More and better. Verses 6 through 9, white cotton curtains, violet hangings fastened with curtains, cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods, marble pillars, couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Well, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. Wouldn't hand-laid tile be enough? Wouldn't marble be fancy enough? Wouldn't one color of curtains be fine? Couldn't we have uh, stainless steel curtain rods? We've got to have silver plated curtain rods and more and more, better and better, better and better. He keeps wanting something more extravagant, more beautiful. He wants to show the pomp and power of his glory. Narcissistic personalities want to expand, 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 and show their greatness at a magnitude far beyond a human level. And it starts at smaller scale. Want to have a better car. Want to have a better house. Want to have a better job. Want to have a better title. And it begins to expand from there. So again, we got to watch first. If we're going to face evil outside of us, believers, we also need to face the beginning of that evil inside of us. Otherwise, for the, but for the grace of God, there go we. Are we always asking for better, 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 better? More, better, more, better, more, better. We are, after all, Americans. Could you please supersize me? It is a sign of spiritual, emotional narcissism. It's leading Ahasuerus somewhere, by the way. It's going to take him somewhere that's going to disturb us. Could you show just a picture, these two pictures really briefly? Here's the gifts of Darius. This is an archaeological find. Every once in a while, I like to geek out with y'all because, you know, I know you, you like some interesting, few of you, two of you, 
Wave your hand at me, the two of you like this. There, there you are. I knew you were here. Uh, two of you. I lo- loved it when I get cattle. This is an archaeological find, by the way. This is in Iran. These are, this is called the Gifts of Darius. If you can see the reliefs on the structure here, this was, these are the steps that lead up to the palace that would have been there. It's, and there you have these carved reliefs into the stone of people bringing gifts up to the king. And the idea was that if you were coming to see the king and you didn't have something in your hand, after three or four or five steps up the way, you'd say, oh, i got to go back and get something. Look at all these people on the stone. So it was a clear marking that you don't come into the king's presence without bringing gifts. This is the father of Ahasuerus. This is the predecessor who had these carved. This is the way that kind of position was treated. A a goat, a a gathering of of expensive perfume, a a, a piece of military, ornate military uh, weaponry, etc. All the way down, various gifts. Now let's see the next picture. This is how you would come to this king in the court and look at the gold inlaid all over. That's the shining pieces, the gold in the hats, the gold embroidery, the gold in the seat, the vibrant colors, dyes were expensive in the ancient world. Everything about this picture shows extravagant, expensive, luxurious elevation of a single personality. Narcissism. Must be good to be king. (laughs) Right? Uh, All right, more, give me more, give me better. Number three, give it now. Now, that's the third sign of narcissism. Now, I want more, I want better, I want it now. Verse 10 through 12, on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, now remember, 180 days of feasts with the satraps from over 127 provinces, six months' journey across from one another, had gathered 180 days. Then another seven-day feast, and he's coming to the end of this seventh day of the feast, and they've been drinking the whole time out of golden goblets. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, nice way to say he was smashed drunk, he commanded uh, all of this long list of names, these eunuchs, these people who had been physically uh, mangled to make sure that they wouldn't touch the king's harem. So do you hear the narcissism there? I want you to take care of my many, 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 many women, but I don't care if I damage your body to make sure that I feel secure. The seven eunuchs who served in the presence of king Azarius, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the people and the princess her beauty for she was lovely to look at. Now she's throwing a party of her own and you could say, well maybe it's because she was busy throwing the party. Maybe that's what it is. Most scholars believe that this bring her with her crown is a euphemism. It means bring her only in her crown. Bring Queen Vashti only with a crown. The two of you are following. Do you understand what we're saying here? Okay, good. Just making sure. You know, there's kids in here. I don't want to have to say it all exactly out there. But she's saying, I'm not going to parade myself that way in front of all of these drunken men that you've gathered for this long. They're smashed out of their wits, number one. Number two, why would you even? I am not doing that. And she refuses. 
And he wants it. He doesn't send any. He doesn't even care why she says no. Doesn't say, "Is it because you're busy?" It doesn't say, "Is it because you're entertaining the guests I told you to entertain?" Doesn't say, "Is it?" it doesn't say anything like that. It will defend other people. No, 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 no. He just becomes enraged, and that's the next mark of narcissism. I want more. I want better. I want it now. And if I don't get it, rage emerges. Verse twelve. As at this, the king became enraged and his anger burned within him. It's a picture of consuming, of burning away in a way like a fire would burn out a forest. The anger is a physically embodied experience. He is raging, he is hot, he is furious that she won't come and parade in front of the men this way. He had her privately. But he wants something more. He wants her displayed publicly. And he wants it now. Give me more. Give me better. Give it to me now or I'll explode. Have you known people like this? Maybe they aren't the kings of Medo-Persia. Maybe they don't have... 3,732 golden goblets traveling around. Maybe they aren't smashed drunk for seven days straight. But have you met somebody who wants more than what they have? They want it better than it currently is, and they want it now. And if you are in the way of that, they blow up at you. They display their anger to you. You are the object of their frustration. You are the obstacle of their narcissistic grandiosity. And so they take it out on you. Have we ever done that to someone else? I want more. I want better. I want it now. Somebody's in my way and I snap. I'm short. I'm sharp. I have a conniption. Have you ever done that little moment? Think about it. King Ahasuerus doesn't just do this on a small scale. It's about ready to turn large scale. Verse 13 through 21, listen what happens here. Verse 13, then the king said to the wise men, so-called, who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all those who were versed in law and judgment, the men next to him being, and it lists a lot of names, I don't need to read all of them, they, sat, they saw the king's face and sat first in his kingdom. Verse 15, according to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? Then Memucan said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, Ethiopia to India. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt. In other words, how are we going to keep our women under our thumbs if you don't do something about this? Since they will say, King Azarius commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persia and Media who have heard of the queen's behavior will say to the... To, We'll, we'll say the same to all of the king's officials, and there will be contempt and wrath and plenty. Oh, no. <laughs> it's getting exploded. Here's the fifth sign of narcissism, just to jump ahead to it. Support. Support. 
narcissists surround themselves with people who will support their perspective of the world and even elevate it to another level. They surround themselves with people who will tell them that their rage is justified. They draw closer to themselves people who will say, no, you have a right to be frustrated. Now, I would never do that to anybody. I would never say that. You, you need to go tell, I'll tell you what you need to tell them. I will tell you right now what I would do if I was in your shoes. They gather those people around them. And anybody who will tell them, hey, part of the problem's you. Part, can we just admit that part of the problem is you? You're smashed drunk. You're asking her to do something no self-respecting woman's going to want to do. She's the queen of this entire place, but you're going to ask her to act like a trollop. It, part of the, if you say that, you're gone. Narcissists surround themselves with people who make them feel like what they already thought was right. And the narcissistic tendency is in all of us. Some of us just give in to it more often than others. I want people who will tell me nice things. I want people to say, Dave, it, you, it's totally right. You were right. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've ever heard you be wrong. I mean, that sounds nice for a second until I think about it. I, think, I don't know if I can trust you anymore. You tell me I've never been wrong. I was wrong three seconds ago. I was wrong when I asked you, apparently, what your opinion was. It, it kind of plays on your ego a little bit, and, and it makes you feel better. Most people, we go to somebody who we think is safe when somebody's frustrated with us, somebody who's going to hear our side of the story, bless our side of the story, understand our side of the story. We don't want somebody to say, now listen, Dave, listen, listen, listen. You are making a mountain out of a molehill. If there is something in there that is right, you've, you've just blown it way out of proportion. We don't want to go to that person. We don't want to listen to them. We don't want the person who's going to say, listen, you just snapped. You had no reason to snap. You were short. You had no good reason to be short. They're wrong. Doesn't make your wrong right. We don't always want to hear that, do we? But when that expands... If we let that go, if we allow that in our families, in our family systems, in our cities, in our city councils, in our government, in our nation, it grows into a darker cloud. When you allow that stuff to happen individually and support it individually and allow narcissists to gain more and more control and it becomes kind of a societal thing, all kinds of dangerous stuff happens, I'm telling you. We've got to watch it in ourselves just like we need to watch it in others. Um, we gather support around us and sometimes that support makes us more successful and even if we weren't narcissists already, here's the scary thing, sometimes success makes narcissists of us. Because things are going well, we think more highly of ourselves. Because we think more highly of ourselves, we think we deserve more, and we deserve better, and we ought to get it now. And because we're successful, more people want to actually align themselves with us and tell us that you deserve more, you deserve better, and you deserve it now. I want to show you just a, a picture of the expansion of the kingdom of Persia, just for fun. That's a, a fun break from the about us stuff. This is just about them. So under Cyrus II, great, great, great grandpappy, 559 BC, 
uh, to 530 BC. 559 BC is about the fall of the Babylonian Empire. So the Assyrians fell in 609 BC. Babylonians fell somewhere around 559, 533 BC, depending on which uh, time you'd like to, to, to mark that under Babylonians fell. And then, so then the Persians begin to take over. So the green is Cyrus II. Then it expands a little bit to the blue, out across uh, the Red Sea, over into Egypt. And then under Darius, this is Xerxes' papa, this is Xerxes' father, it expands out even farther. You see how success is happening? In each successive uh, uh, generation of this great empire, it spreads even farther until it becomes the largest empire ever known up until that time period in history. When Xerxes comes to power, he has so much success behind him, so much power behind him, so much wealth at his fingertips, the natural thing is for him to think he's, pretty, he's something pretty good. But that got into his head. Narcissism grabbed a hold of his heart, and here's what happens when narcissism rules. I'll just give you a few more things here. When narcissism rules, number one, Material possessions are, not u- are used, not invested. Look at what's the pattern for him. Just three years into his reign, he's in the very beginning of his reign, he starts spending the kingdom's money left and right on all kinds of extra- extravagant expenses. Not only is he spending it on golden goblets and cloth and, and porphyry and mother of pearl and uh, all these other things, he's spending it on all of his leaders coming and staying there for that long. Now other leaders have to take their place and he has to house them and pay for their travel and then send them back again and then pay for all of the people of an entire town to feast for seven days. He is throwing out money left and right (laughs) to show how great he is. Material possessions are used, not invested. Number two, souls become disposable. He starts to begin to see people and souls as disposable things that he can use. So in the same way that he uses material possessions, then he sees people as possessions, right? That's number three. People become possessions. So people are able to be used, and then they become possessions. They, I own them. They should do what I tell them to do. I'm in charge of them. Therefore, I own them. They belong to me. And when we start to do that at any level, it begins a decline towards destruction, number four. When narcissism rules, this is the pattern that always follows. Material possessions begin to be used instead of being invested in wise ways. Souls become disposable. We begin to use people in ways that use them up and discard them, use them up and discard them, use them up and discard them, use them up and discard them. Why do we feel fine with doing that? Because we own people. They belong to us. And if you own a business or you lead a team or you're in charge of a group of people, you gotta watch out for this. You gotta fight this every week. You have people under your charge. That means in God's, in God's perspective, you're a shepherd. You're not just a boss. You're a shepherd. It's your job to care for them, to invest in them, to bless them, to strengthen them, to serve them. You get that flipped, and you'll start to slide down towards narcissism quick. And as you do that, you'll watch all the great things you have either inherited or built up start to decline and head all the way down toward destruction. Daniel uh, chapter 11, verses 2 through 4. Could you pull that up for me there? Um, There, good to have it on the screen. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia. We've been talking about Persia. This is Daniel's prophecy before Persia 
became powerful. He predicted this through God's spirit. I will show you the truth. Three more kings shall arise in Persia. That's the first three kings I showed you, by the way, starting with Cyrus, ending with Darius. And a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. That's Ahasuerus. That's Xerxes. That's Esther chapter 1. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. And he does that. And they fight against Greece, and they lose. Then a mighty king shall arise, Alexander the Great, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills, marches against Persia and wipes them out. Historians tell us that under Xerxes' rule, the kingdom began to decline and to decay. Material possessions were used in extravagant ways. People were used as almost like vassal slaves of of the king. Um, Loyalty began to diminish. People who were leading various different satraps and provinces began to try to pull away because they didn't have a loyalty to this guy. For obvious reasons, he was using things and using people and just trying to throw them away for his own glory and his own pleasure. And eventually, the entire kingdom, the greatest kingdom the world had ever seen, crumbled, declined, and was destroyed. What we'll see as we go through the next chapters of Esther is that in this, under this dark cloud of narcissism, an ancient version of sex trafficking, human trafficking, basically, occurs. Women are forced to go into intimate relations, one after the other, with the king. This wasn't a voluntary beauty pageant. I've heard people preach it that way, and it drives me nuts. They had no choice. Hadassah is her Hebrew name. Esther is her translated name. And she loses even her identity being made into Esther. She's no longer Hadassah. And she's forced to go into this harem and be with this king one time maybe for her whole life and then isolated away just with eunuchs attending to her, losing her purpose, losing her dreams, losing her joy. It is human trafficking. And then not long after that, this narcissistic disease begins to spread and genocide is in the wind. One of the right-hand, actually the right-hand band of Xerxes wants to kill all of the Jews because one of them won't bow. And the king says, that sounds like a good idea. Go ahead. Take my ring. Make the edict. When narcissism grows up, When it gets big, when it comes to power, it topples nations. I am deeply concerned with what goes on with that little device that's in your pocket. Because on the other side of what our society is telling us is normal and fine for people to do and scroll and swipe and click and see. Our real people with real bodies whose lives are being destroyed and we're using them up 
and throwing them away. One swipe, one click at a time. People are becoming possessions we use for our pleasure. Phrases are thrown around in our society in deeply concerning ways to me, no longer in any sort of shameful way. Trophy wife. Yeah, I pretty much want to be a trophy wife. You what? You want to be Vashti? You, you want to go into that? Are, are, are you sure? Other words slipping out of even Christians' mouths. I don't even want to mention them in this service. And I hear them coming out of Christians' mouths, dehumanizing people, turning them into objects of pleasure. It's deeply offensive, but it's the air that's surrounding us so much so. That cloud has grown so large, we don't even recognize that it's wrong, that it's twisted. We are the greatest purveyors of filth to the rest of the world that the world has ever seen. I'm deeply concerned. And we want more, 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 more. And we want better, 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 better. And whole TV shows are put together of dysfunctional families that all they're doing is trying to get more, get better, get more, get better, and get it now. And we watch it and we're entertained by it, not disgusted by it. How do we even make it through an episode of that kind of trash before we turn it off and say, this is evil, this is wrong, I'm not letting this into my house. Because that will grow up one day. And it won't grow up in my house. I'm concerned that what seems like a very far off country is living right next door. We are in the wealthiest society to ever exist on the planet Earth. Ever. Did you hear how I described Persia? We're in the wealthiest society that's ever existed on planet Earth, and we can't get the homeless in homes. We can't get the hungry fed. And I don't want to speak all judgmentally. I just want us to take a really close look in the mirror and not in a narcissistic, adoring gaze. I want us to look in the mirror and say, am I on the way to Xerxes? Am I on the way to Xerxes? Put it another way. Am I on the way to narcissistic evil? Give me more. Give me better. I want it now. Dave, are you on a subtle, hidden, subconscious path to that? Because I'm a part of this society, 
and I'm playing my role. Two, am I supporting someone on their way to narcissistic evil? Am I letting someone continue on in this more, better now at work, at home, in the neighborhood association, on the town council, in the PTA, wherever else it's showing up? Come on, I see this disease all over the place. Do you? It's all over the place. Watch the news. Listen to the way people are talking. Go through nextdoorneighbor.com or whatever that is. Look at how people are posting and say, are you serious? Are you serious? Is this us? Is this who we are? And number three, where should I make my stand? Now, I naive and I'm not foolish enough to believe that Vashti was some sort of virtuous believer who was following God. I actually don't think she was. I think she was very likely a power-hungry queen who came back to power after Esther may have even been deposed. That's what some historians believe. But in this moment, she says, that's enough. I'm making a stand. And an even better model for us is Mordecai and Esther that we're going to hear their story later on as we go through these weeks. But I think at some point, some of us need to say enough is enough to the person who's saying more is better. (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Enough is enough and this is enough. And you need to be satisfied with what you have. We need to say, you know what, good enough to the person who keeps saying not good enough. We need to say, no, that is good enough. It is good enough for today. It is good enough for tomorrow. And we're done. We're going home. We're calling it quits. We're saying it's good enough. We are done. We need to say later Wait, be patient to the person whose temples are pulsing and veins are bulging and just can't seem to hold the red down. And you're saying, look, you can wait a minute for your lollipop, buddy. You can wait one minute for your lollipop. And we can do that to ourselves. I don't need more. I don't need better. I certainly don't need it now. I got the love of that woman right there. I've got my three wonderful, beautiful kids. I've got a great church body that's my spiritual family that we're getting to know each other deeper and deeper and there's a lot of joy in it. I don't need more. I don't need better. I certainly don't need it now. We sing that song, More Than Enough, More Than Enough, right? Always enough. Jehovah Jireh. Always enough, always enough, more than enough. That's what he is to us. Always enough, always enough, more than enough. He is Jehovah Jireh. Would you bow your heads with me? Would you just take a moment with the Lord? I hope uh, uh, this was clear enough for you to grasp what I think is the, the bridge for us to not put Xerxes in some distant, far-off land and not think that we might have the same disease in a three-year-old version of that 35-year-old narcissist death cloud. Would you ask the Lord to reveal to you any way in which you need to see yourself clearly in the mirror 
the mirror of his word. If something comes to mind, ask him, ask him to show you one person you can talk to about it. An accountability partner, a member of your life group, your life group leader, the person who helps you lead life groups, a pastor. Who can you talk to about that? We change best when we change together, not change alone. Whether something was revealed of uh, that little bit of evil trying to gain a root in our hearts or not, maybe you'd say, honestly, I don't, I don't think that's me. You might actually have the reverse problem. It's possible that you, <laughs> you don't take care of yourself nearly well enough. That's possible. Whether that's the case or not, would you just ask the Lord, where do I, where do I make my stand? Is there a place where I need to say no? Do I need to say that's enough? Do I need to say you can wait and it would be good for you to wait? Please, Lord, don't let me be the support for a narcissist. Lord, thank you for this word from the first chapter of Esther. We believe that your word is living and active and that every page of it has been breathed and inspired as useful for teaching and training, correcting and rebuking, that you will lead us into righteousness through this book, that from Genesis to Revelation, every page has something for us that we need to glean. Thank you for these times on Wednesday nights when we can go deeper into your word and to take a little more time to delve into the details, to see some things that an infant in the faith might not have the ability yet to digest and to process, but we don't want to be infants in the faith. We don't want to keep drinking milk. We want to get the meat of your word. We want to go beyond the basics and the foundations of the, of, of the spirit of God, of the laying of hands and sin and repentance and baptism, etc. We want to move beyond just the pure milk. We want to get the meat of your word. Thank you for the faithful here tonight who have chosen. I pray that you would give us the ability to digest your word, but not just to digest it in a pleasing way to us, but to ingest it in a way that becomes a part of who we are. I pray, Lord, that we would be part of the solution to this narcissistic society that seems to be some days running off the rails. Would you help us be a part of the renewal of your church, the awakening of your church, the revival that we believe is coming to sweep across this land, the harvest season that we are praying for and yearning for and claiming in Jesus' name. Would you help us through the way we, we lead others into faith and the way we disciple others in the faith and the way we model to those who we are influencers toward to not be narcissists but to be servants because that's the way you came. You did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but you made yourself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant and humbled yourself even to death, death on a cross. This is the opposite of narcissistic grandiosity. This isn't a road to glory. This is a descending road to a cross, to a, a crown of thorns. That's your only crown. No gold, it was thorns, a robe of mockery, and a borrowed tomb. Let us live the way you live so that the narcissist in us can die.